Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I feel like the topic of conversation around postnatal bodies, it's only ever in terms of weight. Like, oh, are you going to snap back? Are you going to bounce back? All people being like, wow, you've really lost the baby weight. And I was like, this is so rank that like the baby's inside you and your body's doing this amazing thing growing. And then the moment it's out, people consider it like, oh, are you getting rid of this? Or have you thought about getting rid of this? Welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling and science to better understand our relationship with our bodies. I'm Honey Ross. And I'm Nadia Craddock. And this is season four. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm very good, you know. I, I'm about to say something so geeky, but Animal Crossing has come back into my life in a big way. I, <laughs> I feel like that's very March 2020 for I know. You. And I couldn't go back for a long time. Like, I spent my pandemic on a fictional island that I of my own creation. And when I did go back, like, I won't lie, like, it was like flashbacks being like, oh my God, I spent so much time on this tiny pixelated island. But they've brought it back. They've done an update. Everyone's kind of come back like, okay, we're sorry. Like head in hands. Like we, we miss you Animal Crossing. And I literally spent about four hours playing it last night. Like that was my incredible self-care. They've, they've added a game where you basically just design houses for very, very grateful, adorable animals. And they give you a brief. Oh my God, Noddy, it's like heaven. It's a heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. I know, no, exactly. Oh dear. oh dear is right. I'm like, what has happened? But you know what? No regrets. I mean, I'm a bit lost for words. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm That's happy all for I you need. and your Animal Crossing word. <laughs> all I need is to know that you support it. You're like, okay, I don't get it. I do. I support it. I'll show you all of the houses yeah. I built. I mean, they're stunning. Um, how are you, my gorgeous angel? I'm very well. Let me just show you my situation Please. here. We have one, one drink, drink, number one. Okay. This is hot lemon delicious very good for the throat (laughs) we have two kind of half drunk glasses of i think both water which is good stay hydrated queen we love that i respect that (laughs) we've got the coffee cup which is the biggest cup of all that like to clarify for reference the cup was the size of nadia's head it was (laughs) (laughs) it's not that big but yeah there's a lot going on i've got my roller very Sutton straight. I mean, keeping us. We love Sutton. We love Sutton and her her self soothing tactics. We all have a lot to learn from Sutton. Yeah, obviously a reference to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. For anyone who is not currently watching or actually finished watching, I think the thing has the series has. I finished. haven't watched the final. Part. We've had the finale. The finale. Have has, you watched it all? Has, it's complete. I have. I have watched it all. It is my absolute escapism. It gives me a lot of, I don't know what it gives me, but it gives me a lot of something. And I, I really do enjoy watching no, it. No, it really charges me up. I really feel that. When it, like, I'm in a good flow with it, there is nothing I prefer than watching, like, women <laughs> yell at each other and throw wine at each other. <laughs> like, I, mean, I sound like a terrible feminist for saying that. No, I mean, it, it, is, it is kind of terrible, but I don't know. I don't know what it does for me, but I think it's, 
I think where it's so you can just watch and you don't have to no, think. No, exactly. It's probably. Also, I think it's made me better at conflict resolution because I definitely <laughs> look at it and go, okay, not that. We're not doing that. <laughs> That's it. We have a Real Housewives group chat and my favourite thing is everyone has their housewife that they defend. That everyone, like, we know that everyone secretly identifies with a housewife. And it's so interesting when someone, do you ever notice that? Someone will say something about Luann or something. I know that's, you know, New York. But, and then someone will be like, actually, Luann's a really amazing woman and she works really hard. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you see yourself in her. Yes. My toxic trait, that used to be Erica Jane for me. So I was there. I was there with you, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's now... It's a hard time for Erica Stans. <laughs> There's been a bit of a turnaround. And yeah, for good no. reason. Um, I mean, watch The Housewife and The Hustler for more information on that. Uh, we will not link it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> we will not. We will not. Um, but talking about linking things in the show notes, we did not mention this last time, but a very exciting new link in our show notes is our Patreon. I mean, could you be more excited for our Patreon? It is the, it's going to be a game changer. What's nice about Patreon is it means that we can just have a bit more communication and like share a bit more like things are safer behind a paywall and the nice thing about it is it's cheaper than a cup of coffee it's you know check it out if you want to support us it would mean the world to us we don't make any money from this podcast so it really would mean so much and yeah we just want to keep making it yeah absolutely i think it's it's gonna be fun we're gonna have if you want more real housewives content that will be on (laughs) that may be in there (laughs) or 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 animal crossing i mean (laughs) the visual the animal crossing the visuals of the self-soothing technique that's the thing if you want to see nadia use a jade roller like Sutton, that might be a video (laughs) and not a um, actually a very calming way but it feels <laughs> you're calming. doing it very fast but it I know <laughs> but it's the sensation it's a sensation I do enjoy it I do enjoy it my other thing is um, ty- well this is very much because we've just come out of the cold season mm. for me anyway is that um, I just like sniff Tiger Balm oh, I love all the time t- really love it I love Tiger Balm I'm a bit like that with like I love a bit of um, vapor rub I'm obsessed with vapor rub, mm. like things that are just like yeah. Well, powerful. you can use Tiger Balm as, like, and you put like you put and like on the forehead, but then you have to be very careful not to get it into your eyes because let me tell you, it stings. Oh my god, that's like a horror story. Like nothing yeah, else, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's like pure condensed like power in the Tiger Balm. So like, fuck, wow. Yeah, yeah. You kind of need to like rub it into your temples, like going backwards, and then washing your hands very closely, very carefully, very. Good I would like hands. a Tiger Balm tutorial from you on the Patreon, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there we go. The kind of content. This you... is what you can expect. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you so Give the wish. people what they want. So, we're talking to the wonderful Ashley Louise James today. We also were joined by the stunning baby Alfie, who I would really like him to be on every episode of our podcast. So... Listen out for baby noises, baby gurgles. It's going to be very wholesome. It's like the best kind of ASMR. Um, We have some very good, intense conversations with Ashley. We talk about uh, body dysmorphia, objectification, pretty privilege. We talk about the realities of postpartum bodies that we don't get taught as women. We talk about um, breastfeeding publicly and being shamed for it. There's We get into a lot and it is a fantastic episode that I found personally really empowering. So we hope you enjoy. So today we are very excitingly joined by a wonderful woman, a personal friend, and I'm with her in the flesh, which is even more exciting. Um, it's the incredible, I mean, I don't even know how to describe you because you do so many things and you do them so well. 
Um, I'm with the wonderful DJ, writer, life coach, mother, Ashley James, who I adore deeply. Thank you. That's a great intro. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I've, had many, I've had much worse intros. Well, I'm glad that that was, you know, it was on good standard. <laughs> I am actually a bit of a, like, jack of all trades, yeah. master of none. I mean, I think you've mastered a mastered lot of trades. motherhood, trade. actually. You really have mastered motherhood. We're currently here with Alf, who is a literal cherub and it's just sublime. And he's in a velvet two-piece, which is how I'd like to be dressed, frankly. <laughs> yeah, with a, with a fox. And is very interested in the microphone. So what the future holds, who knows? Yeah, let's see how well this one goes. <laughs> well, I actually also left out another title, which is Podcaster, which is a recent development. Yeah, I actually have a podcast called Mum's the Word. So after vowing to never start a mum podcast, I have exactly that. <laughs> so in the words of Bieber, never say never. Never say... Can you tell us a bit about the podcast? Um, so it's called Mum's the Word. It's basically a parenting podcast. Um, obviously, well, I say obviously, but it's not obvious at all. I've got a nine-month-old little boy who's here watching YouTube, like the responsible parent that I am. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Other children's programs are available. And um it's basically just me trying to figure out the journey through the highs and the lows and um you know, I gave birth and was pregnant in a pandemic and there's been lots of extra things to worry about. So I suppose it's a bit like therapy for me where I just chat to people from different like experiences and expertises whether that's from a body side of things mm. or for you know childbirth recovery or you know how what to do when you feel like you may, might have made a terrible mistake by having a child like <laughs> all of the emotions I guess that you go through it's uh yeah I don't I don't um I don't shy away from any of the more taboo topics and also the lovely bits as well that's what I love so much about the way you talk about motherhood is you really kind of express the full spectrum of the journey and you talk about the highs as much as you talk about the lows and yeah, I, do, I find it really comforting and honest. And I think so many people have reacted to the content you've been putting out because it is, I mean, it's just so, or uh, it's so, I mean, it, I was going to say awe-inspiring. It really is, though. It's really vulnerable and so, I mean, refreshing. Do you know what I think it is? Because um, it's really nice, but I get, I get told a lot, oh, I love that you're so honest about highs and lows or authentic. And it's not just motherhood. I think it's because I spent most of my 20s trying to be what I thought people wanted me to be and by the way that was many different things like my biggest fear was different groups of friends coming together because I was like <laughs> but how can I be like you know like all the different Ashleys that I'd kind of like chameleoned myself to be yeah I was like they're gonna realize that I'm I can't be all of those things at once yeah. and um you know that that was like how I spent pretty much a decade of maybe longer of my life and it was once I started to trust that I could be myself but also realize that the more you talk about very normal human emotions um the more that you connect with people like the, mm. there's so much humanity and vulnerability and we also I think you know when we're going through different emotions that aren't joy then we kind of think we're on our own with them but they're as normal mm. to experience other emotions as joy but yeah. for some reason society only kind of praises yeah joy and positivity but then also it was like oh don't be so smug I mean it's like you kind of can't win on the internet expressing any emotion really it seems yeah not not for women no not for women that's that's the main takeaway Ashley I wonder if you could tell us it's something we ask all of our guests on the podcast and 
please feel free to share as much as, or as little as, as you're comfortable. But if you could share about your relationship with your body growing up. I'd say pretty uneventful. I actually grew up with no thoughts about my body, really, which I think is quite rare. Like, I, I don't remember ever worrying about what I ate. I remember finding it confusing that other people worried about what they mm. ate because I remember being like what you don't you're not gonna have that can yeah. I have it mm. and it, it I remember it used to like really confuse me when a friend said to me that she didn't eat pasta because she worried about her weight and I was like I remember thinking but does she really think that meal's gonna make a difference to her body so I think I was quite lucky in that yeah <laughs> thank you for that input <laughs> <laughs> I think I was quite lucky in a way that I'd say I got to about Mm, 18-ish, 19-ish, without any sort of body hang-ups. But looking back, the foundations of having body hang-ups had already begun because I remember thinking, for some reason, female adults would always say to me, wow, you're so lucky that you can eat all that. When you get a bit older, you won't be able to eat that. And I remember thinking, at what age am I going to get that I suddenly can't eat the food that I want to eat? Yeah. And I think all those things kind of stick in your head, don't they? And for some reason, like the age I had in my head was 25. And so, you know, as I was getting nearer to this age, I was like, is it what's going to happen when I eat pasta after this age? So then I think I started to diet, but not because I necessarily wanted to or felt like I should more because I was like well this is what people do now Mm -hmm. when they get to that age um but yeah that was I'd say the relationship I had up to the point that I got quite bad body dysmorphia it's very interesting I mean I don't know if you absolutely feel free to not speak on this but I've you've spoken a bit about like facing sexualization when you were younger it's so interesting so I grew up I'd say around the age of 11 I got it into my head that I just really wanted boobs. I don't know if it's because I associated that with like being grown up and not being Mm. a child. Um, But I remember, I mean, it's so weird looking back, but I would cut out pictures of women with boobs and put them by the fireplace and like pray to Santa because apparently (laughs) Santa was my God. Santa brings the boobs, yes. And I'm like, I just want boobs, I just want boobs. And I remember just being like, that was what I thought was like, oh, life will be so great when you have boobs. It was, I don't know if I was obsessed with like being feminine or being grown up or what it was. And then suddenly at 13, I got Santa delivered <laughs> with the 30 double Gs and they kind of came out of nowhere. And it kind of dawned on me very quickly how much people's attitudes and behaviors changed towards me. So this was adults so I was slut shamed a lot by friends parents and on like genuinely treated as if I was like gonna get their children like get their children pregnant if they hung out with me and I remember being quite like shocked by it because I mean anyone can be as sexually liberated as they want but at the time I was very much of like I would never have sex unless I like unless it's love and so I remember being a bit confused like why are they treating me like this and teachers at school used to make me change my outfits and then my friends would say oh can can we borrow it and they'd wear the same outfit and it was allowed and that kind of um like taught me to be really ashamed of my body um 
and also the comments from boys especially older boys so bear in mind I was 13 so I just started um, senior school and boys used to come up to me I mean looking back it is it is like dark because it would be like you know 16 17 18 year old boys asking if I was shaven and I just remember being like this is actually like so grim and what it taught me was if I cover up my body I can avoid all of this around 15 I stopped wearing makeup I started wearing really frumpy clothes I don't want to name the brand that I used to wear because they might listen um (laughs) and they're perfectly acceptable but I remember my mum saying like even I don't shop here and it made me I'd say it actually like really heightened my inner misogyny because I really it taught me that you can choose beauty or brains and you can be sexy or smart and I suppose when I was saying I had no body issues I was thinking of it more from like a relationship with my body in terms of my weight but in terms of my boobs I hated it and I still feel really passionately I'm sat here breastfeeding so it's <laughs> it's ironic um talk about boobs now but um yeah I still feel really angry at how society treats women's boobs as if they're I saw something in um a tabloid the other day I can't remember which one saying boobs are back in and I remember being like, oh, like well, bit... thank fuck, I'm back in fashion. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, literally, we all have boobs. Well, we don't all have boobs. Well, we do. Everyone has boobs. Everyone has breast tissue. And um, I was like, isn't that mad that they're considered a fashion accessory that are back mm. in? Oh, that's all right, so I can get my boobs out now. And also <laughs> that we judge people's, like, morals and sexuality based on boobs. And also that it doesn't stop when you're breastfeeding like mm. there's still that judgment and sexual sexualization even when you're feeding a child yeah i know it's it's fascinating i think hearing you talk about it is really um powerful thank you so much for sharing that how do you think motherhood has helped you love your boobs in in that kind of neutral way again i think it's helped me to love like not just boobs but bodies in general because mm. it it's made me like think like wow we are we really overcomplicate society, everything. Like, it actually isn't about how our bodies look, it's about how they function. Like, the things that our bodies do for us every single day. And with childbirth, Alf was a really big baby, and I had um, fecal incontinence, which is essentially where you shit yourself. And very few women experience that, but a lot do. And I had prolapse, and I had piles, and I mm. had stitches. And it kind of gave me like a fear of my body. And I feel like the topic of conversation around postnatal bodies, it's only ever in terms of weight. Like, oh, are you gonna snap back? Are you gonna bounce back? Um, And in my head, I was like, all people being like, wow, you've really lost the baby weight. And I was like, this is so rank that like the baby's inside you and your body's doing this amazing thing growing. And then the moment it's out, people consider it like, oh, yeah, can we get rid of this? Like, are you getting rid of this? Or have you thought about getting rid of this? And actually, for me, I, I, I was so fearful of my body, fearful that my stitches hadn't healed and how painful it would be, you know, not to... You talk a lot about, like, oh, couples who don't have sex after birth or finding the time for each other, but I was like, I'm scared to even, like, touch myself with my fingers. Like, how on mm. earth could I, like, feel sexual again? And then fearing that if I go to the park... I might have incontinence and my body like will my body Mm. ever work again I am 34 the average life expectancy I think is 87 like am am I gonna is am I gonna go through this for the rest of my life and Mm. I feel like it 
it it it's upsetting that people think that we care about weight yeah. <laughs> in all of that when you're growing a baby and you've got not not, not much sleep and you want to talk about if I'm going to go back to the gym like yeah probably probably not I don't know like I'm just trying to function and then in terms of boobs I definitely did feel like um it was a new part of my journey so I talked a bit about being a teen and then you know learning that if you covered up <laughs> Alf has very strong opinions on this <laughs> uh, um I you know as a teen it was like okay what I've learned is you cover up and you're taken seriously and then in my 20s um it I suppose that continued because I was a working so I felt like I had to cover myself up and then I got kind of got to my late 20s and 30s and I was like do you know what I deserve to feel sexy I deserve to wear clothes that I want and if people have a problem with it that's their issue so I did start to like really embrace um you know wearing like well I guess showing off my cleavage and enjoying it and thinking if people have a problem with this this is their problem and not my problem and then when I was breastfeeding I suppose it felt very much like I'd reclaimed my boobs back from a patriarchy that sexualized them. However, they are still sexualized. And I do think it's this kind of like Madonna whore complex in society that people can't get their head around the fact mm. that they're boobs, yeah. but it's a baby. And it's like, but, but oh my God, they're sexual, yeah. but there's a baby feeding on them. So people say that it should be this intimate thing. And I'm sorry, it's not anal, it's... Do you know what I mean? No. It, it's like, it, sorry to be like so crass, but it is literally like it's fun. Well, it's like it's like it's I am, I'm literally like, would you be offended? Like, would you would you criticise a mum who's bottle feeding? Because both are very valid ways to feed a baby. Yeah. And <laughs> I know, I feel the same way. Um, so yeah, it is mad to me that even when you're doing something like breastfeeding, which is literally giving food to a child, it's considered something that should be intimate that you shouldn't take pictures of, that you're criticised for, or, weirdly, that men will still kind of come in your DMs online and, like, comment on your boobs, and you're like, really? I'm literally feeding a child, like... Yeah. Take a day off. Yeah, yeah. Truly. Like, not that people deserve it if they're not feeding a baby, but it's like, really, even now? Yeah. No, but it's so interesting of, like... It, it's similar with the kind of the concept of snapback of w pregnant women are kind of lauded as like these saintly like wow you're glowing and you're radiant and the minute the baby's out they're like I don't want to be reminded that your body did this please get rid of the the weight that you gained to help feed the child please don't show us the thing you're doing currently to feed the child which is why I think what you're doing is so important and kind of normalising all of that because I think so many people feel really um, isolated and like Especially a lot of uh, pandemic parents, I'm sure, feel really isolated because they haven't had the opportunity to kind of speak to people about this in this way. Yeah, and I think as well, like, praising or shaming women for their bodies, well, point blank, ever, it's bad. But especially after giving birth, it's like, I know people that have lost a lot of weight. For example, I lost loads of weight recently because I had COVID. I was really ill and mm. I, I didn't sleep because Alf was really ill with COVID and I lost loads of weight because I was sick. Mm. And I and I was bit, people were like, wow, you look amazing. Like, how have you lost the baby weight? And I was like, a near death experience? <laughs> like, thanks. Like, and it's like, and I, I've had friends who've lost the weight, maybe through depression, maybe through, you know, maybe because that is just what their bodies naturally did. And mm. it's like, they feel embarrassed or sh ashamed that they don't want to show off their body online, especially because they 
they are told that they're irresponsible because they're not role models because they've lost the weight too fast and it's like we need to get over this obsession that losing weight equals good or irresponsible because you're Mm. and gaining weight or keeping weight is is bad because it's like everyone's bodies are different Mm. but also like like it doesn't it doesn't matter like yeah and, and and actually a lot of the time if you lose weight very quickly it's actually probably because of something negative and the fact that people celebrate it it's a very confusing thing Mm. it's yeah this is a slightly ironic question because obviously we're talking about weight and bodies and and things but it's almost like how do we stop people talking about weight and bodies or or maybe particularly weight i i just wonder and it's just almost like a thinking out loud question but like how do we stop that always being like front and center of what people are talking about or how do we kind of maybe gently redirect that conversation i think you can say wow you look great without making any comment on whether that's due to weight number one Mm -hmm. i think you can be like how how are you have you recovered how's your recovery because bear in mind like that i do find it a little bit weird that so much of childbirth is taboo and so much of our bodies is taboo and the education around the female body is like outrageous and i actually didn't do um nct but apparently when they they do a little bit about um what the vagina the vulva and everything goes through during childbirth they actually send the men away obviously if you're in a heterosexual relationship they send the men away to have a cup of tea because it's like right ladies and it's like i feel like that also puts a lot of pressure and shame around like men need to know what is happening Mm. because also a lot of women are embarrassed to talk about how their vagina's changed or the fact that they're scared of potential stitches or the fact they've got piles and all of these things and it shouldn't be a taboo in the same way that if you go for an operation on your knee and you have stitches on your knee or you need a crutch temporarily like all of these things are part of the recovery and I was almost like excited to well I was very excited to experience childbirth but I was also like wow finally I get to uncover this mystery of what happens to the female body because I feel like people are pretty open about pregnancy and you know oh my back aches and I need mm. to sit down or whatever it might be and then they would give birth and there would almost be like radio silence for a couple of weeks and then there'd be suddenly an announcement like we give birth this is the weight of the child yeah like mother and baby doing well and and in my head I'd be like doing well but how can you be well when you've either had a c-section or a vaginal birth like surely you can't be well in the same way that if you've just come out of like another form of operation they're not going to be like yeah they're doing well it's like so I think it's more realizing that weight is actually irrelevant to recovery and actually if someone has lost weight very quickly it's being mindful like Hey, how's how how how's your sleep? How are you finding it? How's the adjustment? Would you like me to come round so you can have a shower or a yeah. nap, as opposed to being like, "Wow, congratulations on the weight loss." Yeah, you're like that's the last thing you're thinking about. Um, so yeah, I think I I think it all and it, ultimately it all comes down to education, isn't it? It's all about understanding more what people go through in childbirth and motherhood, and also understanding bodies. And, um, you know, I think things like this podcast, things like the advertising rules changing, it all helps to kind of take away the idea that skinny, thin, small, shrinking Mm. ourselves equals happier and better and 
healthier, healthier because yeah. it it doesn't yeah it's so true and I think what you said also there was so important in terms of there's so much that we don't know in terms of what happens to women's bodies when they give birth like I've had over the last couple of years multiple friends having babies and just what their bodies are going through and and I feel like I've learned a lot like kind of like secondhand through that is there anything that you've that you feel that everyone should know is there anything you want to like say out on the podcast that you're like oh yeah this this happens or like we should all know this about what happens when when people give birth and I know it can be very different and maybe that's part of it I think just that it takes more time than people think to recover and that could be mentally physically all of it because everybody knows that it takes nine months to grow a baby but for some reason people kind of expect mums parents whoever gave birth to kind of get back to normal I say um after like six weeks and that is just such a crazy expectation Mm. on our bodies like I didn't realize that basically your spine your pelvis like all of these bones expand to make space for a baby and then people are suddenly like oh so are you gonna are you gonna snap back it's like my my bones are still (laughs) not even in place yet like and I find that my my bones I see them still changing and I'm I'm after nine months postpartum apparently it takes a, a whole year for female bodies to recover from the process so I think yeah it's just understanding that even if someone says they're fine like just be like I don't know do you want me to go for a walk Mm. with you do you want to do you want do you want me to come over so that you can nap or shower or yeah and also stop stop thinking that it's a compliment to comment on someone's weight Mm. I feel like you've maybe slightly you've slightly answered this already but what really surprised you about your postpartum journey apart from kind of uh the time that it takes i mean the time it takes was a big one because um i think also that i'm not totally invincible because i remember going into pregnancy being like i'm gonna i still you know i love fashion and i love heels and i'm gonna be like this glamorous person that i Mm -hmm. am now i want to be that person in motherhood motherhood because i had so much like in a misogyny around what I thought being a mum was and I was like I don't want to be like that <laughs> whatever that is and it was when I got to 30 weeks pregnant that I got really bad pelvic girdle pain and um I basically couldn't walk towards the end of my pregnancy because of you and <laughs> I fully then expected because I I I love doing exercise for my mind like my I've always had really bad anxiety and I'm um, exercising even if it's like skipping I, I don't care what the exercise is I just have to enjoy doing it usually boxing because like nothing makes me happier than like imagining the people or things that are making me angry at that time <laughs> against a punch bag it's great it's like therapy um and so I fully expected to be back doing that after six weeks and I'm still not back doing any of that um so that's like challenging on my mind but also I I didn't really I didn't really understand I think what the pelvic floor did and the fact it is literally a hammock that keeps all of our genitals and our core up and again like this is something that annoys me that we're not taught about our bodies because I didn't realize how important it was to be exercising it and um you know doing doing the kegels doing your kegels um, and that's so important even if you don't have children and I think you know a lot of the things that I experienced like prolapse um, and piles and all of this thing is because I 
didn't really I was I kind of see saw childbirth as a bit like doing a marathon and by that I mean um that I didn't do any exercise and I was like it's a battle and I will get make it to yeah. the end whereas actually you can do things to prevent long-term damage mm. and because we don't talk about bodies I didn't know any of those things so then obviously my recovery has been much slower with things like incontinence and I also didn't realize that lifting a baby is not necessarily the best thing to do after giving birth because again it's it's loading up your pelvic floor so in yeah. the time that your pelvic floor needs to recover so I always had Alf in a baby carrier because it was like so cute and nice to carry him around and then I was like oh no I literally just need to sit down and I think society expects us to get up and go and actually praises people I see people being like wow you're back to work in five days that's amazing and actually it's like I mean, it is amazing if that's what you want to do. It's a choice, but it's also not that amazing. Like, you're not even meant to drive a car after a C-section for six weeks, but yet we worship people that go back to doing everything straight mm. away. Well, I mean, it kind of feels like it's... I mean, it kind of... As we always say on the podcast, it comes back to capitalism in that way of, like, how quickly can you, you know, go back to normal and get back on the job, get back yeah. on the grind? It's ripped. People are so applauded for doing that. And it's like, your body has just gone through a huge change, a huge transition, grown a whole bloody human. And then you're expected to just, I mean, yeah, like you said, be out and about and living. And it's like, no, <laughs> you've got, you've got a little human. Look at you, you are so gorgeous, I can't even cope. <laughs> so cute, I'm like desperate for cuddles through the screen. I know, like, oh. The other thing that I hear and see from friends who are mums and then kind of how that kind of escalates out is that there just seems to be, it feels like there's so much pressure on mums that there then becomes a lot of comparison. Honestly, I've never experienced sisterhood like it since becoming a mum, but I've also never experienced that sort of judgment and comparison. And everything feels very Brexit, like whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, whether mm-hmm. you sleep in the bed or sleep in a cot like and I think I think a lot of it is because people worry I think it's people are so passionate about raising their children in the best way they can of course they're passionate about it that if other people do it differently they either think well that person must be wrong or they think oh well that person must be judging me or am I doing it wrong so it's it's a very like um heated heated debate I suppose and actually people just need support they don't always and also what works for my baby won't work for someone else's baby like we are all so different so um <laughs> so yeah I think it's it's just remembering that it's it's okay to do things in each other's ways and actually you know my my sister couldn't breastfeed and she bottle feeds and I would never ever ever like judge her or or, or make her feel bad for her choice in the same way that I would hate for her to make I would I would only want her support as well so I think it's just yeah remembering that everyone's different and um, there's no right or wrong way to parent but there are wrong things to say like <laughs> even with breastfeeding that funny enough it's such a like full-time job more than I even realized and actually mm. the only things people really ask is are you going to get a boob job after breastfeeding yeah it's weird oh my god um and people and like the, the, the topic and actually i don't know what my boobs will look like after breastfeeding because i've never done it before and i've never stopped before but there seems to be this myth 
that you know your boobs will be ruined and again it's this thing around body image that perky boobs porn boobs you know like they they seem to be like the only boob that is admired in society and um i definitely have stretch marks especially if after like a day where my boobs are emptying i really notice stretch marks and there's not one bit of me that thinks my child is ruining my body i'm like <laughs> it's part of like my story and my journey and it makes me a bit sad that people think that that's an acceptable thing essentially they're saying to me like is he really worth ruining your boobs for and will you fix it oh my god what are other things that people should avoid saying to new parents or um, parents in general um i think just like putting their own asking about snapping back we've obviously discussed that one a little <laughs> bit um i think trying to fix your problems like so if you say you're not sleeping everyone has a, a solution of something that will help and it's like but actually some children don't just don't sleep in the night and i don't need you to tell me that it's down to something i'm doing wrong mm. i just need you to be like wow that must be so tough mm. like just be supportive yeah do you would you like to go upstairs for a nap <laughs> do you know like as opposed to being like have you tried this or i've I like, of course, a lot of people say it to be nice, but there's, I think a lot of people say it because they want to feel like they know more than you. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that can be so well-intentioned, but also not always what you need to, to hear. And as you say, all, all kids are different. And I guess what I'm thinking about, right at the beginning, you're talking about your relationship with your body, and especially in terms of like weight you were n- never bothered by how do you understand that and did you have like positive influences with your parents or anything like that that maybe nurtured you because it's it's quite unusual to as a the teen to to not struggle do you know what it's weird because looking back i wouldn't say my mum was a particularly positive role model in terms of eating because I remember she used to be always on these weird diets where she'd only eat cottage cheese or quavers but she never talked about it around me so yeah I suppose I I, apart from people saying you're lucky that you can eat what you want when you get to a certain age you won't be able to I never really had anyone ever talk about food as a event around me it was Mm. just something that we did to feed our bodies um so yeah I suppose I was lucky in that sense but I think as well this is it's a really weird thing because I don't know how to say it in the right way but it was only when I got boobs which I've referenced that I started to get male attention and I remember being like me because I was always like quite geeky and quite nerdy and I was never like I never tried to fit in but I never I never particularly I wasn't I wasn't unpopular for whatever it was Mm. but I was just a bit of a like I was just another kid at school like like you know there was nothing particularly stand out about me and then suddenly to get like all this attention from um guys very sexual attention but it was attention and it was something that I'd never had before I never had like the cool kids wanting to hang around Mm. me that I almost like wished that I'd almost been prepped a bit more for like this is this is the kind of experience that you might have because I think as a teenager I start I start to really value being pretty and like all that Mm. kind of sexual attention I kind of took it on as like oh I'm I'm so popular now like and I almost wish somebody had said you know that a lot you might get attention because you're an attractive young girl Mm. but there's more you know, like sexual There's attention so isn't necessarily, and yeah, that, and also sexual attention isn't necessarily the only attention. Like you yeah. could, you could have roses, or like you know, because I'd almost like 
feed off this like quite horrific attention looking back and I think it made me quite like image orientated in a way that I hadn't been and so then when I got to around 25 when I quit my job and I did reality TV that was when I suddenly felt like all my worth was set upon being this sort of sex symbol or sex mm. icon and actually it was so far away from my upbringing or from what I valued myself as that I almost felt like I then had to switch off like the brain side of it and suddenly be like the sexy one and mm. it took me probably till like my 30s to be like wait you're allowed to you can be, be both yeah. <laughs> yeah you can be because the thing is you are obviously a very sexy lady but you are so smart you are incredibly incredibly smart and it's you know what was your aha moment that kind of helped you realize that you could be every facet of yourself I think it was more just like learning around about feminism and the way people treat women compared to men and I remember even like I think was it a few years ago the Finnish Prime Minister uh, a female posed for a cover of a magazine in a blazer and it was low it was um, she mm. wasn't wearing a shirt underneath mm. and there was this debate globally about whether this was an appropriate appropriate attire for a world leader <laughs> and I remember being like but that has nothing to do with her ability to lead and it and yeah. it, I think it was just the more I started to see um things in the media and especially when it was like written stuff that was written about me because I feel like obviously when it's when it's you you like but that's not who I am and I remember in like you know like looking through the tabloids thinking like I don't even like this version of me because mm. it would be very much like Ashley James flaunts her ample assets as she parades her cleavage <laughs> through the town and it would be literally like me in a dress going to a like something work related and it, no, but it they're implying even... you're like Jessica Rabbit, like, yeah, and and it's like, just like you're just existing. I literally put on a dress, and then yeah. I remember I was talking to a brand, and they wanted to do a campaign, and it was all around feminism, and they'd said you'd be perfect, and then they went away and came back and said, oh, actually, the um, head office have said that you're not feminist enough um, because they see like all the articles written about you in the tabloids, and I was like, you know, I don't write them. <laughs> um, and so that I think that's when I started to like really fight for instead of like in the past I would have been like oh my god they think I'm not feminist enough right I mean, let me like throw in my sexy dresses and I'm going to cover up my cleavage and like dress in that sensible way that I felt like I should which worked at school because the moment I stopped wearing makeup and started wearing um, like what I would say is frumpy clothing then I was treated like I was treated better at school even though I was still producing like the same grades. So I think it was more like the stubbornness that I was like, I will prove that you can be both, like you can. And also like our, look, our looks should not define us mm. um, and certainly don't define someone's ability to rule a country. I mean, imagine if we gave Boris Johnson the same scrutiny about what he wore. Exactly. No, it's so true. It's such an insane double standard. I think it's interesting of you talking kind of, to me it sounds like, there isn't enough conversation around pretty privilege and there isn't enough conversation around the flip side of pretty privilege which is being reduced to that and feeling like that is all you have to offer and it's a very strange it's a very strange conversation because it kind of is like no one no one's happy under this system of kind of like you get reduced to either one thing and it's people are so multifaceted and have so much to offer I think it's also a hard thing to say because, like, have I had pretty privilege? Absolutely. Do I consider myself beautiful or pretty? No. So when you... 
so it, it's like I can recognise that I don't know like ha- in what ways have I had pretty privilege like I would go to a nightclub and yeah. sit at a table with a load of creepy old men prettiness is almost put on this pedestal like oh wow imagine if you're pretty like everyone would want to be pretty but I remember just thinking like I just want to be respected mm. or I just want people to like take me seriously and this goes down to everything you know I, I DJ and I used to be in a duo with my friend Charlotte and she, I mean, she's beautiful, but she's much more edgy and she's brunette and people would come up to the DJ decks and be like, oh, so I presume you're the DJ. Um, she, like, she, like, and I would be like, well, I, no, we both DJ and people would be like, yeah, but you obviously just stand here and look good. And I remember being like, <sighs> like, should I dye my hair? Will this, like, make you think I'm better at my job? Or, like, mm. yeah, it's a weird thing, but... Um, that yeah I feel like there is no winners in a society that puts so much value on looks like even if you look at like supermodels or you know like some of the most beautiful women in the world actresses they and then you look at the surgery that they have and again I'm not I'm not against surgery but you're like even the people that are like hailed as the most beautiful people in the world obviously have body hang-ups and and self-esteem issues because actually even the models don't look like the models and I know that from when I used to model I would like get these images back of myself I'd be like that's not my body <laughs> like they've literally just changed my body and so then I'd be like oh, now do I need to change the way I look so that's so, like it was like horrifying to think that a photographer would go back to the studio and be like mm, she's a bit wide hips there or like mm. let me lower her boobs a little bit or whatever it would be and you're yeah I mean even the models don't look like the models and what does that tell you about society <laughs> I've heard that a lot. I mean, obviously we know model the photoshopped, but then it's like we don't always stop and think, how does that make the model feel? Whoever's doing the edit is dictating, like, this is how you should look or this is how we, like, enhance appearance and things. And I think, yeah, it's very much comes back to our, like, capitalist, patriarchal society that it's, like, putting so much pressure on women in particular... And it's like so narrow and the ideal is so restricted. But maybe just to move on and, and wrap us up, what is it that you do to, to feel good in your body now? Have a lot of baths. Nothing makes me feel better in my body <laughs> than lying in a bath with incense, candles. I think because, I mean, that sounds silly, but it is. It's an act of self-love. Like, I don't know, being able to walk walk in the park through nature it's like all the things just move being able to move your body and to be honest being able to go to the park and not shit yourself like i will love my body forever <laughs> honestly like after going through fecal incontinence i would not wish that on anybody and so it's remember it's remembering that and also remembering that when i go through these periods which i do where you know i put value on the way my body looks and i start to think oh my god like what if i can't fit in my pre-pregnancy clothes and then it's like but i look at pictures of myself when i was at my skinniest my most in society's standards the most beautiful like um, when i was modeling and when i had a six pack or whatever and i was miserable i hated i hated my life I hated my relationship with food like I felt like my body just more controlled me like I couldn't even get myself dressed because I would like hate my body anyway so I needed other people to tell me what I look good in and my I didn't have any self-esteem and I feel like we're tricked into thinking that if we change or shrink or 
buy this lipstick or whatever it is that way it's going to make us suddenly happy and it's going to give us acceptance and it doesn't and don't get me wrong I love putting on a good lipstick especially after you know a, t a night of no sleep putting on red lipstick but ultimately like I think you just have to be grateful for like all the things that your body does and it will like I've stopped putting pictures of like god what should I do in my 20s I'd have like Sorry for Alf. Um, I'd have pictures of Emily Ratajkowski on my phone as like my body goal. And it's oh, like, yeah. my body will never be hers. So why am I trying to like, why am I trying like that? Is, and that will not make me happy. Like it will not make me happy to have her body, but also I will never have her body. So I think it's just to like forgive yourself when you get caught up in like society's bullshit, but also remind yourself that actually when we're lying on our deathbeds it's not going to be like what we were, what we weighed or what size our clothes are or how we looked or any or even like what other people thought of our bodies because that's it isn't it we're always going to be too big too small too this too that for other people's opinions but actually it's like the memories like going diving climbing mountains breastfeeding all yeah. of those things that we remember and actually like doesn't matter how our bodies look to do any no. of those things well, no, because it's how you felt, isn't it? It's like how hard you laughed, how, you know, how you cried tears of joy. Those are the things that actually, you know, you'll think about at the end, not, did my bum look weird in that skirt? Like, you're never going to think about that. And actually, probably it didn't. It probably looked great. Yeah. <laughs> More often than not, you look great. Like, I think that's a good uh, note to end on. Um, Ashley, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank and you. And sorry for my over-enthusiastic child. No, he has been an incredible guest as well. And I love his... Uh, he's like a little Enjoyed hype man, it. isn't yeah. he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's backing up mummy's points. Ashley, how can our followers and listeners um, help support your work? Um, I think just find me on Instagram at Ashley Louise James and if you want to listen to the podcast if it's something that interests you around motherhood I've got lots of episodes around adoption and IVF and all sorts then um, yeah check that out as well thank you so much thank you I love that I love Ashley so much I mean I find her honesty around pregnancy so empowering um, and I would really enjoy it if, I know I said this already, but if we could have the baby there every episode, I, that would really do bits for me. That would make me very happy. I'm like, God, I'm so broody. <laughs> I know. I wish I was, I wish I was there I, with you in person. It was one of those funny ones where the two of you were together and I just felt like I was looking in on a magical thing oh, happening. You were watching us like all crouched around a microphone with this baby on the couch. I was like, perfect. This is how we, magic gets made. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I would love if we could shift gears a little bit and you could give me a lovely bowl of noodles, knowledge noodles. We spoke mm. a lot about how postpartum um, is a very vulnerable time for women when it comes to body image. Can you talk a little bit about why this is? Yeah, of course. And I think I'm mostly going to be echoing our conversation with Ashley, but I think that's a good thing. Um, but essentially, I think it boils down to a couple of things, right? It comes down to the objectification of women, so the value we place on women's appearance above all else, it comes down to weight stigma in society, diet culture and capitalism, because we all know how capitalism loves to profit off women's insecurities. And once we've moved past the teenage years, we can really find another like key market where people are feeling uh, particularly vulnerable. Um, and so as Ashley spoke about, like the human body changes a lot during pregnancy. 
they don't magically transform back to the way that they were pre-baby immediately following giving birth and it's probably worth saying that for many people their bodies day different following having children that is how bodies work bodies aren't meant to stay the same throughout your lifespan that would actually be very bizarre if that were to happen the one constant in your life is that your body is going to change like you can count on that like your body will never be your body's not even the same body as it was yesterday if that makes sense you know what i mean of like on a molecular level on a cellular level you are never the same person so i'm like and we're all constantly, constantly shedding, shedding evolving <laughs> shedding dead skin especially if you exfoliate you know it gets rid of it faster moving to the next stage of your personality it's good uh, so getting back to the point yes our bodies change definitely in pregnancy bodies change and then because of the reasons listed above so objectification of women weight stigma diet culture and capitalism like there's this huge cultural expectation that women get their pre baby body back or at least strive to so we also like celebrate and reward the work so if you're like trying to get that body back we people society culture is like oh yeah no we can get on board with that so you've got all of this pressure it's a term of like snapback isn't it which even in itself is such a toxic term of the idea anything in your body could ever just snap back it's not possible even if you exercise all you want that's not how bodies work that's not what skin is like like come on guys i know and and i think it's like worth saying like the pressure comes from everywhere it's like very omnipresent right so it's like from the media there are traditional tv and film but it's also social media but then as well it's from our friends our family our partners random people on the internet who feel that they want to give a little comment on someone's appearance so we have all of this pressure and this pressure and the messaging is all about women should be focusing on their bodies following having a baby that should be their priority they should be focusing on getting that pre-pregnancy body back as quickly as possible and linking back to the capitalism point the diet culture point it's like you should be buying all of these different things so you should be subscribing to different regimes and different plans and emulating different people to try and get this thing and like our bodies all work differently so as much as our bodies change over time two people's bodies can respond very differently so it's not what you do will not necessarily be the same or or it's that it's going back to that point of people's bodies respond differently so some people's bodies do people do lose weight some people don't like yes look like some people i don't want to single any people out but there are people who somehow miraculously look the same or very similar and like everybody's different like that is the thing but it's what's not helpful is the comparison culture and making women feel bad or making birthing people, people who've given birth, feel bad about how their body has changed. Because um, they've already got enough. They've already been bombarded enough with negative messaging. Um, it's very fascinating and very bleak. So, are postpartum women at a higher risk of disordered eating as well? Yes. So that's very consistent with social cultural theory of body dissatisfaction and disordered eating. So if we're focusing on postpartum women... If we're following the tripartite influence model of body dissatisfaction, um, as an example, when women internalise and buy into societal messaging that they need to lose their baby weight and or find themselves constantly comparing their bodies with other women who appear to have lost the weight potentially, so going into that comparison culture that you're talking about, and both of those things, both of those mechanisms of internalisation and comparison are a response to societal pressure from friends, family, 
partners, the media. So we have these sources of pressure, we can have these two different mechanisms that can work in parallel. And then in response, we see that pathway towards people feeling worse about their bodies, so feeling more dissatisfied with their bodies. But we also see them feeling worse in general, so experiencing low mood. And to your question, they're also at higher risk of disordered eating. So we've got the pathway from the sources of pressure, the two mechanisms of internalisation and comparison, and then we have body dissatisfaction, low mood and disordered eating. So it's very much a visual thing, um, or easier to follow visually. So it also just, I mean, hearing you talk about it again, just makes me so frustrated when you're like, this is the time when, one, women are so isolated. Like, I think a lot of the things, a lot of new mums feel really lonely like that is something that we know and then to be lonely and experiencing these pressures it just makes me so angry of like the pressures from all of these outside sources i'm like oh my god it's not like they've just fucking grown a whole human inside them like Mm. can women catch a fucking break ever right and as a bit of a side note so when i was looking at some of the studies that are out there on postpartum and body image and disordered eating there was a study that i came across published a few years ago in the journal Body Image, led by, it's a team of researchers, but led by Megan Lovering. They found that approximately 80% of the 474 postpartum women in their study had their post-pregnancy target weight. But what this is what's interesting, or what, what stood out to me, on average, that target weight was about 12 pounds lighter than their pre-pregnancy wow. weight. So it's not like they're just... So, it's not saying I want to be so, ha- how I was before I had a baby. It's I want to be... Well, it's almost like I want to be the version of me pre-that. pre, pre that. It's like... It's it's shrinking yourself. Or, or, or a version of you... Yeah, or a version of you that you've never yes. been before. Yeah. Right? So I think then if we're thinking about the question of is postpartum linked to an increased risk of disordered eating, if you're not only trying to lose the quote baby weight but you're also trying to get down to a lower weight so 12 pounds is almost a stone in uk metrics at speed in response to all of the toxic societal pressure that we have the chances are you are going to be resorting to the crash diets you are going to be engaging in some really unhealthy eating behaviors and the likelihood is that you're not going to feel particularly good and to all the points that you made about women also feeling being vulnerable to feeling lonely and um postnatal depression and that whole cluster of factors, that that is like a whole cluster of factors of, of leading into disordered eating. And we know from other research more broadly, so not necessarily looking at postpartum, but just in general, that we know that dieting, as well as other psychological factors like low self-esteem, like low mood, are risk factors for disordered eating, eating disorders anyway. So definitely a vulnerable time for disordered eating for... Um, people have just had a baby so yes postpartum is a vulnerable time for women when it comes to uh, relationship with food and bodies um, and that's because of all the societal pressure that is out there on how women should look and how much value is placed on women but in the same breath it's really important and worth stressing that having a baby can transform someone's body image and relationship with food in a positive direction so having a baby can help foster that greater appreciation of what bodies can do so body functionality and it can also be a transitional time for people to 
take a bit of a step back and be like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to like opt out and unsubscribe from some of these societal appearance pressures because actually um, my focus is on something else. And, you know, kind of taking it back to what Ashley was saying, you can really help people who have just had babies by, you know, opting out of that kind of body talk, weight chat, all of those things. You know, it's not helpful and chances are you are probably exacerbating an already, you know, vulnerable mind state for a, a new parent. So let's uh, not do that. Um, Nadia, thank you so much for this delicious helping of noodles. You're very welcome. And what another lovely episode of season four. Thank you so much for listening to the Body Protest podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and it would mean the world to us if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. You know what to do. And if you're left wanting more, why not check out our new Patreon for some exclusive bonus content. You can now also drop us an email at thebodyprotest at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by the sensational Daisy Grant and our dreamy music is by Eve Garland. And our new Knowledge Noodle jingle is by Zane Morris.